Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's show number 464 for March 12th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about our approaches to dust collection, shop flooring, cupping after resawing, gluing cedar and preventing chatter when hand planing but before we get to that i want to let you know that wood talk is brought to you by rockler rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years head over to rockler.com and check out their power up sale which includes power tools and all the accessories that you need for your shop the sale runs through april 2nd so don't miss it don't miss it and if you want to help support the show you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. Woo! This week, we like to thank my main man, Donovan Cummins, uh, Kyle Brince, Matt Parker, Robert Jeshire, Paul Engel, Pete Dalfaro, Steve Hams, Mike McMahon, and Troy Bassard. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Thanks, guys. Thank we you, really guys. appreciate the support. It's fantastic of you. All right, we haven't done a what's on a bench in a while, so maybe we should. Um, I'll go okay. first here. All right. So this, this is what's on my bench. <laughs> I didn't know I had an option, but you know. Well, you're being paid now, so you got a job <sighs> to do, son. I got to talk about what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> okay. But first, I'll send you what you're doing. Okay. So remember that CNC thing? That nope. CNC in my shop? I made it, something uh, with it. It's going. It's running. It's running. I mean,. It's one thing to use like a pre-programmed thing that's in the controller and it still takes me four hours to get the right thickness of material for everything to work. Right. That's that was my first run. Yeah. Uh, we were able to take a file that was made by uh, my buddy Brian Benham um, with the proper shape that I needed. And I was able to take that into VCarve and started to crank out some templates because I'm going to be selling them. So this wasn't templates for me. This was a template I wanted to brand and put on the website. So uh, it's just quarter inch MDF templates and we were able to, had a little fussing around to do. I needed to find like a special thing and had to put, you know, push the button. And eventually though, 
we were cranking out these templates so fast that as we're trying to pull the the pieces out of the because uh, you kind of keep them attached with the little tabs so it doesn't move around. Mm-hmm. We're tr- you know we got to get them out and just clean up the edge a little bit and we're we're going all right that thing is done again so we've got to go <laughs> load it with another sheet and it's working so much faster than we can work. Uh, but we were successfully able to just batch out like thirty two of these templates. You made thirty two um, of them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty optimistic, that's right? Awesome. Thinking that there's 32 people who actually want I mean, the, this I'm thinking shape. like that's a decent amount of CNC cutting. Like I thought maybe you'd be like, I don't know, 10 as like a yeah. first run kind of like we're just playing around trying to make sure this thing works. You know, well, once I got one, I had a proof of concept and I'm like, well, <laughs> let's just make these templates, man. Let's I, get I have stuff. all of this template stock. I don't want sheets of this stuff. I want right. templates. Well, you got to take it's, you know, you take a four by eight sheet, you split it into four pieces. That's what's going to fit on this bigger, mm-hmm. um, the bigger of the two power Maddox. I was able to fit four if I just kind of tilted. The, and these are the triangular guitar pick shaped cutting board templates is, is what they are. So if I angle them slightly, I could squeeze four into a single run and then four times four, that's 16 per sheet and two sheets, total of 32. So, so now you got me thinking about Jay, who's going to sit there and cut up all the waste pieces, like the, the panels with like the holes missing where the templates were. Guess what he did to today. Throw them away. <laughs> He's like, uh, he was like, are you going to use these for anything? I was like, no. And then I just hear him over there. He's like punching and kicking and taking his anger uh, with me out on this MDF. <laughs> It was pretty awesome. Right I used to pick stuff up from my, my buddy, Ron, who had run, like he used to run a full scale CNC shop and they would just get these weird oddball requests. But the things that he would have left over would almost be like wall decorations yeah. with the whole, the whole pattern <laughs> that's left in them. They looked really cool, but he used to ask me all the time. He's like, you need any of this stuff? I'm just going to throw it out. And uh, if the pieces were big enough, I'd take them. But most of the time it's just Swiss cheese. There's like nothing I could do with it. You know, maybe See, now maybe, you got me thinking about making actual wall art out of them. Like you could pour some epoxy in there. Right, and exactly. Really you cool know, in our last thing. episode, we had a question about what's going to drive innovation. Maybe it's going to be the offcuts from the CNCs, <laughs> the leftover CNC. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a whole negative space design movement. <laughs> That'd be cool. slightly abstract. Yeah, I can get into that. I can get. I'll, I'll get it started. I'll, I'll take. I'll, Take those out of the garbage. And I'll no, start no, no. Something. You're not allowed to invent any more new things. Okay. You're yeah. good on those. We'll, we'll take those. You, the, well, after the cutting board, I think I need a big follow up. But <laughs> Well, you invented the cutting board and then the big shop. And now there are bigger cutting boards and bigger shops. So uh, I'm just old school. You, you've been anymore. undone now. Old news. All right. So the other thing that's not old news, my chisels came in. I was actually getting a little bit worried. Uh, uh, some, some things happened that were not wood talk. Uh, we didn't discuss them on wood talk. I guess I should uh, catch some folks up. Um, I don't know if I ever talked about the blue spruce chisels on the show that I got them or what. I don't think so. I think that was just Friday live. I may have, because this was way back when I went to Ann's, like probably like a year and a half ago to record. That's when I ordered the blue spruce. So there's a good chance I mentioned it. Um, but either way, I've had the blue spruce chisels for a while now. Uh, Matt was out to the shop. We were working together and I've noticed a little, just the edge wasn't really holding very well, but I've sharpened them up and honed them up a couple of times And Matt was using them. And he's like, what, what is going on with this chisel? Look at the edge. And it was just kind of like serrated. It had really fractured. And I was like, well, you know what? When it was just me seeing that, I'm like, well, that's probably something I'm doing. <laughs> no, cause these are blue spruce, blue spruce chisels. Uh, these are super high end chisels. Uh, it's probably my fault. So then as we went on and did a few experiments and, and rehoned them and got them nice and sharp, did some side by sides with my Stanley's, uh, the Stanley sweetheart chisels. 
And I really came to the conclusion that there must have been a manufacturing flaw with this particular set of chisels. So I actually, a year later, um, you know, good on Blue Spruce for, for having this kind of customer service. I got a full refund for them and was able to send them back. And I, and I told um, Dave over there, let me know what happens. Like, I still think it's my fault somehow. Um, but if you test these out and it just determined, it's determined to be a manufacturing flaw, I'd like to know that. Um, especially because I have talked about this issue and I don't want people to think that I'm bad mouthing a great tool company. Um, but the bottom line was side by side tested against those Stanleys, the blue spruce edge was, you know, just serrated and chopped. And I even took a, a close up shot of it and you could see the difference with the same amount of abuse and use, uh, compared to the Stanley, the Stanley sweethearts were holding up better. So that was disappointing. But again, the way they handled it, um, I think was probably as good as a, a company could have handled an issue like that. So either way, this all leads into what happened recently. Finally, because you have to like apparently pre-order these things <laughs> six months in advance, the, the PM, PMV 11 chisels came in from Lee Valley. They're artisanal and made in small batches. <laughs> That's got to be what's going on. <laughs> There's just one guy who like cranks out all of the PMV 11 he's, steel. These guys smushing powdered metal together and forging it by hand. And <laughs> That's <laughs> got to be what's happening there. Are they I still think, using think, the um, torrified maple handles, the baked maple yes. handles? All right. Yep. Because there were some problems there too, I thought. Maybe that. And I've actually heard since then, since you told me that like years ago, uh, someone I think in the, the Facebook group, the guild group, um, had a busted handle and they quickly replaced it for him. So nice. I'm not sure why they keep using that. I mean, it looks nice, but I don't know. Either way, I don't know. I don't know. So I honed those babies up and I got them ready to be used. And hopefully the results with these will be better than what I saw previously. Um, but I was getting to a point where I had sent the blue spruce back and hadn't. You didn't have any. I didn't have the other chisels. Uh, you don't yet. use chisels anyway. Uh, you know, well, it's all hand tools. Who uses those? So I'm super stoked about it, though. Uh, that PMV 11 steel that I've used with my um, with the planes has been quite a pleasure to sharpen and uh, have in use. And uh, I think it, it's, you know, for someone who doesn't use them as much as maybe someone like Shannon, um, it's probably going to be a lot longer between sharpenings for me than, than previous, which is Have you cool. used those at all yet? Even for just like messing around? They just came in yesterday. I stayed up till like 1130 watching Star Trek episodes and sharpening oh, in the kitchen. I stayed up till, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I stayed up late sharpening. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Standing in the kitchen, sharpening, getting them all honed up. And, uh, I start my first project like uh, tomorrow that they'll probably get some use. Have How you used the, the PMV steel at all prior to this? You're, you're talking to me or Matt? Either of you. <laughs> no, the, the yes. I, like I just said, I've used them in the, um, in the hand planes. Oh, that's right. You did just say that. Yeah. I did yeah. just say that. That's why I thought you were talking to Matt. I pay attention. But. Sometimes I pay attention. <laughs> Um, the handles, because I know you okay. like, you know, I know you like the fit and finish of the, the blue spruce. Yeah, they're okay. I mean, the problem is next to the blue spruce, they're garbage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they look like I made them, <laughs> which isn't saying much. Um, blue spruce, they, I know they use the, like the ones I ordered were the figured maple, but is that in their handles? I'm pretty sure that is the resin impregnated material, the same stuff yeah. that they use in their mallets, right? Mm hmm there's nothing like that. I mean, when you've got that extra weight and heft in that handle and it's like wood meets plastic in a, in the best possible way. It really helps to balance it out better too. Cause with those, with the bench chisel, that's a lot of steel. It is. So you yeah. have to really balance that out. I guess for me, I don't really use bench chisels that much cause most of the time I'm choking up on things. 
Mm-hmm. So that gets really tiring to hold a whole giant bench chisel with all that steel and the handle sticking up top while you're choking up on it, trying to chop a little dovetail or something. Yeah. Maybe the butt chisels would be a better choice for you. That's what I use. All that, a little baby all that ones. choking up you're doing. That's oh, interesting because yeah, all my blue spruce chisels predate when he was resin infusing stuff. Mm. I've got old school first edition no blue spruce chisels. Wow. Look at, look at you. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming from the blue spruce, the handles are just disappointing. It's not that they're bad. It's just the blue spruce stuff is like above and beyond. And it makes me think that maybe one day I'll just make, you know, new handles or something for them. Yeah. I don't think you're going to do that. Probably. Not. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> it's almost like you, you know me too well. Remember man, that cause... one time you bought a plane tote? <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember that. And everybody's like, you could have just made one. I'm like, yeah, but I got one for free and didn't have to do anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you Classic do spags. Oh man, but that's, that's great. But then I did the same thing because I got the number eight and the handle was broken when I got it. I just called and they gave me a new one. Yeah, better things to do to make a handle, Matt. Come on. Uh, anyway, so that's it for me. That's what's going on. What about you, Matt? Oh man, I'm finishing up the uh, the garden bench thing. That's um, that's come quite a long way i'm done with all of the uh i guess construction type of stuff so now oh, i'm on to wow. like all of the um whatever you want to call it the edge breaking edges and sanding stuff and mm-hmm. getting everything ready for finish and uh i went ahead and i bought like i think five six different types of outdoor oils oh <laughs> look at you i feel like in like no other industry would be able to do this be like oh just, you know i don't know which one i want to use so i'll just you know buy them all <laughs> buy them. well look at what i'm doing with chisels like a hundred dollars on finishes <laughs> and exactly <laughs> I'm just uh, i'm sampling chisels every year it's fine i got a nice accoutrement of uh of different oils so Can- i'm doing a um except for the polymerized um tongue oil mm-hmm. which is the one you sent me from whatever that fancy finishing place was. Oh, uh, Sutherland Wells. Yeah, there we go. That, that place, that was not a cheap, uh, maybe this, maybe I'll use this quarter finish $58 later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you will look, if you come to me for a recommendation, it's probably not going to be a bargain. I mean, I'm fine spending the money. I'm just like, it's just a little more like, eh, maybe I'll use this. Maybe I won't. I better find something to use this on <laughs> at <Yeah>. some point. <laughs> something, something very special. Cause I have, I have that, I've that like the range of like that, like $58 for a quart down to like the Minwax uh, teak oil, which is like $12. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying all different things, but as I'm, as I'm reading about the finishes that are, I guess, more used in the industry on thermally modified woods, um, just simple teak oil is what most, um, like the decking manufacturers suggest. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, if it's good enough for a deck, it's probably good enough for a bench, you know? Sure. Because the uh, I get with the thermally modified stuff, you don't really need it doesn't need any finish necessarily. It's really just there to kind of you know bring out the beautiful wood type of look. Because right. the the um, the modification process makes it water repellent, which also I, I learned you can't use regular all wood glue on it because it that doesn't stick. All right. <laughs> what uh, which one did you use though? Because I heard you can use like type on three. Uh, I I used. Type on two, and then when it didn't work, I just used more glue, and uh, that, that came to <laughs> add more. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, I was just gluing the um, the filler blocks into the groove for the the vertical uh, back slats. Right. So it's just holding a little tiny block of wood in there, so I wasn't super worried about structural integrity. But mm. it was really funny because I had I, I cut them to be uh, bigger than than the groove, so they're like they're hanging out. So as I went to go like touch them, as I was thinking it was dry, the block just like pulled right out. Like oh, there geez. wasn't any glue on there at all. 
<laughs> and you look at it like it's just on there and you're like but it hasn't really done literally anything this That's is weird really it's just the weirdest thing like, use more glue. <laughs> so uh, anyway for the i think for the glue up i'm just gonna use epoxy anyway which i was planning to do anyway because yeah. i just i lean more and more towards i probably should just be like a hide glue person because i use epoxy just solely for the working time i'm like you know what i've had enough stressful gloops in my life i'm not in a rush to get anything together even if I don't really need the open time, I'm like, yeah, epoxy, just in case. You never know when something stupid's gonna happen, and you and you know you forget to put a panel in to like a frame or something. Right. And you're, you're, when you're doing screwed. like when you're, when you're doing a dresser, like the chest of drawers that Mark did, and you forget to put the back panel in. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Now, thank you, only, you for that lesson. You only I do that to once, myself. generally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do that one time. So let me ask you, with the finish though, are you doing test boards? Yeah, I'm going to do so I'm going to do test boards just to see like what the application process is like. And the other thing with these teak oils is like you don't know what the hell's in the can. So is it just the oil or is it some kind of oil varnish blend thing? Yeah, it's or, always something else with teak oil. It's like it could be teak, anything. It's like, like the Danish most generic oil. term ever. So yeah. I'm going to see like which one of these actually have varnish in it. Because I really don't want to put a varnish on there just for just to make the whole process a lot easier for refinishing down the future. Because I don't want to be like. Scrape and varnish from between slats. That sounds yeah. terrible. So I'm, I'm going for the more frequent application, but less work to reapply kind of uh, route with this one. Do you know if the thermally modified stuff is known to not like film finishes? Is that ever an issue? I don't. I, I didn't specifically look into that, but I don't know. It's not, not an issue. Why. It's not water-based. <laughs> not an issue. I would imagine. So the, as long as it's not water-based, though, is, is the, yeah, the, the only caveat. The entire exterior door industry uses... Well, not entire, but most of it uses a thermally modified wood now and they put mm-hmm. varnishes over top of them all day long. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No worries. Well, if it's good enough for doors, it's good enough for me. Didn't we just talk about that last show? I feel like we did. Doors? Making a door. There you go. Yeah. Go buy some thermally modified riffs on, quarters on, something. Yeah, we didn't even recommend that. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <Oops. laughs> That's true. I got I mean, a, an, an outdoor project I'm doing soon. I'm definitely going to be trying... Uh, some of this thermally modified stuff. It it's seems. it's really cool. You do have to be very careful with it because it it is it has like weak edge retention. Yeah, it's very is, brittle. Is what I'm is what I'm finding. Mm-hmm. So like even if you have like I've noticed this too. If your mortise and tenon joint is a little too tight <laughs> and you got to like force it to come back apart, you're probably gonna leave part of the tenon in the mortise. Oh no, that's weird. <laughs> that's super like the, weird. Like the edge of it or the corner of it. <laughs> I've had the corner come off one of them. And you might have some of the mortise wall kind of pull out with the uh, mm-hmm. with the tenon. So you got to be a little bit gentle with yeah, it. This is what your chisels about, um, are now made of, Mark. The what, say what? <laughs> this is what yes. your chisel handles are now made out of. So don't hit them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh, this sounds fantastic. No, it doesn't. This sounds awful. What I am mean, I doing? Your, your zero clearance has to be on point. Because if it's not, oh, man. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like I've had like if I'm doing a rip cut and I have... Um, my zero clearance insert for my table saw is a little bit worn. I should probably replace it or like fill it in with an epoxy and recut it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was well, a little bit of gap on the side. And if I feed a little too fast, I will have these huge gouges, like just chunks missing on the edge on the bottom corner as the blade exits the, the, uh, the wood into the table. So, so, so this process turns perfectly good wood into wangy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? That is the best definition of it. That sounds I wonder terrible. If, if like you have to use like a, uh, finer tooth blade like a plywood blade or something like that you, you know what's treat? been interesting is i've been pulling a mark lately i've been kind of lazy i've been ripping with my crosscut blade and it's been doing a little bit better 
Yeah. <laughs> See, I there's a method to my madness. I hate to tell you this. I don't think that's a Mark thing. I think that's just a woodworker thing. That's a normal changing, woodworker you know, thing. I don't want to be you know, changing Mark's like all kinds of about blades. It. Mark's always been proud about his laziness. Like, you know, <laughs> shoving it in my face. I'm Man, proud of the I'm proud of the laziness that I can get away with. That's one of the things that I've never been like, oh, look at my tear out. It's terrible. Like if it was terrible, I would do something different. But it's good enough, so I don't have to. That's fantastic. Nice. Yeah, that, that's where that's at. It's been uh it's been a fun little build. I'm I'm really happy about it. You can check it all over in the guild. It's been uh it's been I don't know how many videos now. Nine, I think I'm at. Yeah, quite a Nine. few already. Yeah, cool. It's gonna, I think it's gonna wrap up around thirteen. It's gonna be a, a shorter one for me. Attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> nice. Right, Shannon, what about you? Um, I started doing some stringing inlay and then I decided I didn't like the look of it. It was too, too thin. <laughs> um, I wanted more of an impact. So then I laminated some holly and ebony together and I was like, Ooh, that kind of looks cool, but now I want more. And now I've just gotten into making banding. Um, it's something mm. that, that I've always like known how to do. I've seen like Freddie Roman do demos, demos on it a number of times. I saw Steve Lada do it, read <clears throat> those things called magazines. I've read articles in those about it, <sighs> but it just, it's <laughs> never come up. I've done stringing before, but I've never, that's not true. I've had banding come up before and I went to Woodcraft at the time and bought the banding. <laughs> like the store, the commercially made stuff and just inlaid that in. But there's just never been a project that's needed it. And this table, the side table I'm finishing up, it's just, it needed something more. So now I've got this, um, let's see, it's from the outside end, holly. It's not actually ebony, it's dyed Castello, but it's just a black wood. Um, holly, ebony, satin wood, the kind of yellowy stuff another thing of ebony and then another thing of holly. Um, but it's all veneer. So they're all like, well, the holly is 16th. That's a thicker veneer. Everything else is uh, 32nd, um, if not skinnier than that. So it's actually, it's kind of a cool look, but now I'm, now that I've laminated up that little like loaf that I'm slicing off the, the veneer, I've got quite a bit left over because I laminated up like two inch wide strips and I really only need four strips to, to ring around the table. So now I've started like cross cutting it and doing like little checkerboard patterns. And I was like, Oh boy, this is a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, you know, <laughs> so I was like, well, this seems like a perfect opportunity to film a lesson in the hand tool school. There you go. So yeah, but it's it's fun, you know. It's 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 just one of those little subdivisions of woodworking where you end up making it's like um Kumiko, you know, now there are Kumiko blocks to make this Kumiko. <laughs> now I've got a, a banding press and now I've got a little banding miter box that I created to use with my carcass saw. And now I've you know, all these little little things that eventually are just gonna get shoved in a corner on a shelf and collect <laughs> dust. But the next time I do a banding project, they will all be there. So. Yeah, you are set. I see. I did an edge. Or, find um, I did an inlay banding thing, string inlay on um, that workbench cabinet, yeah. and I'm so like jazzed about it at the time. I'm like, this is so great. I'm going to do this on everything. And I bought the Steve Lotta tools and kit, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what's going to probably happen? Those will sit there for another five years. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I think of what I can use it on, and that's what's terrible. Uh, I have obviously. <laughs> I have like that you Steve Lotta kit and I've used it like maybe three or four times. And then yeah. I was starting to use it for the stringing and I was like, no, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and I got to tell you the, the cutter that, that Veritas now sells for their router blade or the router plane, mm -hmm. that thing is awesome. Like oh, typical really? Veritas where they take something and they innovate it and 
So it's, it's the same, you know, post that you would get normally your router plane blade has, but it's got two little cutters on it and it comes with this like whole, you know, a whole rainbow of shims. So you can create whatever width match the width. And that thing is just awesome. It's, and then you just wow. slice out the, the extents of it, come back with a router plane and, you know, remove the stuff in the middle and you just get this perfect friction fit. It's, it's, it's a very cool setup. It makes banding so much easier. Um, that it's one of those things where it's, it's like the, the whole domino thing where I feel like as I was filming this, I feel like I've got to go back and show a way to not use the router plane because it's got the right. fancy adjustment tool. So I'm like over here using a high speed steel drill bit stuck in a block to do like the, the poor man's version of it. And I was like, man, that Veritas thing is so much easier. I don't want to show this stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool well i'll tell you what it does my heart good to see you mixing light and dark woods together in the same project yeah. in small just, in just small saying. quantities it's got a good effect <laughs> okay all right so let's get into our main topic today we're going to talk a little bit about dust collection uh Oof. pretty much like what we do in each of our shops and i don't know shannon is the let me ask you this is the whole hand tool users don't make dust thing is that true no total myth Total myths. So let's, let's, let's start with your shop. I think <laughs> me and Matt kind of have typical things going on with power tool setups and dust yeah. collection. We'll get to that, but I want to know what you do for dust collection, protection, clean up all that stuff. Now I'd be, I'd love to, I need to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be at the Denver airport tomorrow, Mark. I'm going to come by and borrow your uh, air quality meter. Cause I would oh, sure. love, I would love to use it in my shop and really see, because I yeah. would assume that, you know, I'm not making the tiny, tiny, particles. Um, right. you know, like when, when I hand saw, I've got a, a pile just to the left of me here. I just, just sawed some, ripped some stock to, to width. And there is a sizable pile of sawdust, but it's big, heavy sawdust. It drops right to the floor, right under the saw bench. But you know, you can see dust floating in the air. Every time you bring the saw back, the teeth are, are emptying out and there's finer dust that is floating in the air. But the fact is if I walk away you know, 10 minutes later, it's not in the air. It's falling to the floor. It's not that really nasty stuff, you know, that stays in the air right. for hours and hours on end. It's as far dust. as I know. Right. I mean, I don't Good know. Point. I mean, well, see, that's the assumption, right? Everybody presumably. makes that assumption, but most hand tool users aren't throwing that little dilos meter in their shop to monitor air quality. Yeah. What I can remember though is, and, and well, the question is, what do I use? I have a jet air cleaner and I use that more than anything. Um, you know, mounted, um, mine's mounted on the wall cause my ceilings are too low. Um, and then I have actually a, a Rockler wall mounted dust, right? Collector that pretty much just stays plugged into the power tool, um, <laughs> to my planer, but it's one of those like super long extensible hoses. So I can take it to any point in my shop. So it's kind of my shop vac slash dust collector. Um, but there'll be plenty of times where my biggest dust collector is my broom and dustpan because the shavings and stuff, you don't want to be, that's a good way to clog up the, uh, the impeller, um, the grate on my <laughs> <Right>. dust collector <laughs> clogs up in seconds with that. So I sweep up the shavings, um, but there's always, you know, you sweep the shavings and then there's all this stuff left on the floor. The finer dust is, is there. And if I go, um, you know, more than a couple of sh shop sessions without turning on the jet air cleaner, you can definitely see it. There is definitely no white glove test passing in my shop. I mean, there is stuff 
not just like where I'm working, but I'll find it on like, um, my entire shop has kind of a, like a, a ledge that runs all the way around it. It's the junction between the drywall and the cinder block wall. Cause we're in a split level house. Um, mm-hmm. so that little ledge sits about four feet off the floor. That ledge will have a layer of dust on it, you know, opposite end of the shop from where I was working at the bench and it will still have dust on it. If I don't use that air cleaner, if I use the air cleaner, it pretty much stays relatively clean. So I, I think it's a myth. I mean, I certainly would say that it's the hand tools are not throwing it quite as wide, um, widely, you know, they're not atomizing it and throwing up clouds of dust because there's no high speed spinning blades, but uh, you know, you're still making a fair amount of dust. Uh, I remember the last yeah. time I was at Roy Underhill's school and he has no collection whatsoever because it's all old timey and, you know, the, the whole Roy, the Woodwright shop aesthetic going on there and the amount of dust just like on the shelves and things in there <laughs> was shocking. So yeah, we make dust, man. You need, you need, if nothing else, you need a shop vac, but uh, I should no. Let me correct that. You should have an air cleaner, whether it's one of those <laughs> fancy Powermatic ones or the Jet, you know, any yeah. Delta. They all make the the ceiling hung ones. Those things are game changers for me. The dust collector itself. The primary reason I have one is because I have a power planer. If I didn't have the power planer, I would probably just have a shop vac um, to do because yeah, because that's what it is. It's a glorified shop vac, but. Mm-hmm. You know, not just because Rockler's a sponsor, it's a very good shop vac because for my small one car garage shop, it mounts to the wall and that hose, as I said, it reaches every spot in my shop. It's l- stretchy and long enough that I can go anywhere, which is that one hose. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a smart system. Um, so Matt, what do you, what do you got going on for dust collection? Got the, um, the what, dust collector thingy with the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Cyclone. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I haven't, I haven't spoken for a while. So my brain is just like checked out. Wake up. Uh, I was like, it's late here. Um, see, I got the, uh, what I have now Laguna three horsepower cyclone, my bobber thing. Mm -hmm. And I got six inch duct work going to all the stationary tools. Um, I've had that collector in there for almost like two years now, a year and a half. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, I went from the standard, uh, single stage, well, a horse and three quarter powermatic one to the three horse. And just that going from that much, I guess that much horsepower increase is been a huge uh, game changer for me. Mm-hmm. You don't realize like how, I don't know, like underpowered one of those little portable, you know, standard jobber things are compared to like something that should be sized for your shop. Right. But for my shop, I probably should have had at least a three horse from the beginning. Um, but that's just how it progressed. Sure. Um, and then I've got the um, the jet air scrubber thing, probably the same one that Shannon has. I have uh, I have that mounted on the ceiling. I just got that Powermatic one, the twelve fifty. Is that what it is? Oh yeah. So you got that's right. You got it when um, there was that weird price drop that yeah. no one could explain. <laughs> I'm like whatever, man. It's like that's the only time I'd buy that because you know it's a little spendy. But yeah, I have it several hundred dollars discounted. I have a couple of initial thoughts on it. First of all. I don't like the form factor because I have low ceilings. So I'm going to have a hard time if I ever want to put some in the shop and mount it on the ceiling. Cause I probably, even me, I would walk into it because it would be like in my head space. <laughs> okay. So there's that. So wait, um, how, well, how is that different than the jet? The, I fit under that one. The jet's only like comes down a foot from the ceiling. Okay. So, so this not, one it, physically comes down lower. You're supposed to mount that on be. the ceiling. 
You can. You could. No. Because maybe just looks like a box fan. You know, like well, I don't yeah. have floor space for it, so I would have to go on the ceiling. It would make it would make more sense on the ceiling because I don't have anywhere on the floor to put it. Yeah, um, you'd have to have like twelve foot ceilings, or I would anyway. Yeah, because it's <laughs> it's like two and a half feet tall, so it's going to come down two and a half feet from your ceiling. So if I mounted it in my <laughs> shop, my shop's got seven foot ceilings, so right. it's like four and a half feet off the floor. Is that the math right? Yeah. Well, look, there's a walk into you it. should always buy tools for the shop you want, not the shop you have. <laughs> Well, that's the way i look at but this. here's here's the thing about it i li- i i have it in the house i have it sitting here next to my desk it's running right now it's that's on a medium. great filter for the inside of the house i mean the the air quality here in my office is amazing and <laughs> I, I think i might just keep it in the house <laughs> we have so uh, well in here we have the we have like you know the basic furniture furnace filter we just have like one single filter no no fancy like hypoallergenic thing so our house yeah. is relatively dusty for a house I'm pretty sure, like, I'm guaranteed if I had one of those uh, air quality mirror things, if I had in the house, I would have poor air quality in my house, in my <laughs> shop. Like You'd be running guaranteed. into the shop to get a, a good breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> like, guaranteed. Now, the one thing that like, I really like about the, uh, this Powermatic one is it's so damn quiet. So, yeah, I would, so I don't think it would necessarily, I don't think it necessarily collects more dust than the Jet one, but I'd actually run it more. Because I wouldn't turn it off every time at the film. I would just leave it running all yeah. the time. Yeah, the it jet is loud. Running. Especially if you turn yeah, it up those... on high. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And, well, you turn it on high and you see that, like, mine used to be hanging from chains from the ceiling. <laughs> so you kick that thing on high and you just, it goes, <laughs> you just kind of see a jerk. It's <laughs> trying to blast yeah. off. It's got a little, little, little thrust. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is getting the feedback from people who have gotten, like, there was this mad rush of people in the, the Guild <laughs> Facebook group who went and bought this thing. And like 20 plus people went and purchased it and people are like, it's, it doesn't really seem like it's working, you know? And, and the, the weird thing about this fan is if you put your hand like in front of the fan, the exhaust area, you put mm. it in front, you don't feel anything, but the way that the blades are shaped, the air is actually going around the perimeter of yeah, the fan. It's, we- it's weird. Yeah. So you got to put your hand above it or on the side, not behind it. And that's when you're, you're going to feel the actual amount of air that it's, it's pulling, but, but it's, you're right. I don't think it's any faster than the old, old school squirrel cage type filters, but it is much quieter. You can keep it on high for a lot longer. Um, and it's just more efficient. Plus you don't have to change the filter. You just, you know, vacuum it off until like, I don't know, 30,000 hours or something with yeah. that uh, electrostatic filter. I mean, I, I would probably nice. just keep it running like literally all the time. Anytime I was in this, I'll probably even turn it off. I haven't turned it off yet since I got it. It's just been sitting here on <laughs> for like four days. Nice. <laughs> it's just so quiet. Just let it, let it go. Man. Like, I like I come down here, I don't even know it's on. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, anyway. Super weird. You know what's this, really weird? This I have, is not a Powermatic ad, but you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a good, it's a good system though. I've got one in my shop and I think the remote, system somehow is like tuned to the same thing as my neighbor's garage door opener (laughs) (laughs) or something weird like that. Right. I don't know exactly how it works, but there are times where I just come into my shop and it's a mystery because it's on and I know I didn't leave it on. It happens all the time. And I'm like, my shop is nearest, you know, pretty close to my neighbor's garage. And I'm thinking, I wonder if it's like a weird frequency thing with the garage door opener that kicks it off or something in my own house. Does your remote open his garage? (laughs) <laughs> uh that does not at least not that i know of my doors are usually closed <laughs> well i've got a ceiling fan remote in my house that turns on my oneida dust collector 
it's the weirdest thing, but there obviously it just happens to be the the right frequency. Huh. So yeah, kind of kind of kooky. I should have showed that to you while you're here. It's kind of funny. It's actually <laughs> like kind of funny. It's, yeah, it's it's really we hit the off button, turns on the dust collector. It's stupid. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So my setup really not all that different from Matt's. I've got a ducted Cyclone uh, Oneida system. I. I probably could get away with three horsepower, but uh, on the phone with them, they recommended the five primarily because I'm in Denver. So apparently the elevation has some impact on that and the dust collection quality can be sacrificed. I guess it's an air pressure thing. I don't know. It's don't know. weird got, science. People know what I'm talking longer about. Longer runs than I do. And I think you'd probably want more than three. Well, I wasn't disappointed, you know, to get to a five just to be like, I'd ra- if you're going to have a little overkill, dust collection might be the kind of place where a little overkill goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, so the five horsepower does a great job. No problem with that. I had a clear view prior to that. The clear view was a great uh, dust collector as well. I just didn't want to move to Denver with it and switch to the uh, Oneida at that time. I uh, have the air cleaner that Matt was just talking about. And of course I use a respirator in addition to all these great dust collection resources that I have. I still have this paranoia about it and I will wear my, um, 3M 6500 respirator pretty much all the time if I'm if I'm making cuts on any tool. Uh, and I think really the, the thing I want to make sure people understand when we talk about dust collection, the best thing you can do is to cut down on how much dust gets into the air in the first place. And that's done by collecting it at the source. So if you've got a good mobile dust collector that you move around from tool to tool, if you've got a ducted system, if you've got a, a broom and a, <laughs> and a, a little pan like Shannon does, uh, whatever it takes to keep that stuff from going into the air, immediately collect it. And that's that much less work the air cleaner has to do. And, and the less you have to depend on that, uh, that respirator. So always look at your tools, see if there's anything you could do to improve the dust collection on those tools. I mean, I've got a Powermatic jointer, the 12 inch. I'm not sure what someone was thinking when they designed the dust collection routing on that, but there's a wide open gap under the outfeed table, just wide open to the air. <laughs> And I cut a piece of plywood, a little like quarter inch piece of plywood, little caulk around the edges, shoved it up in there. And that just kind of closes off. So it's not uh, pulling so much dead air into it. It's the goofiest thing. But some tools with a little modification, um, you can make a big difference in the dust collection efficiency on it. So definitely something to look at if you're getting into it. Kind Um, of an interesting comment that I always I seem to get now, like like the last episode, things have changed, apparently. So now I get all these comments that people see me wearing a respirator asking why I have dust collection if I'm wearing a respirator or something to that extent. <laughs> you know, like if you, why do you have such a great dust collector? If you still throw a respirator, I'm like, oh. yeah, cause it's like, not getting everything people. That that's something I've been trying to be better about in the last couple of years is actually wearing one more often. Um, yeah. I think it was like two or three years ago. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start wearing one more often. I bought a few of them and I, like everybody's face is different and everybody's like, I don't know. Preference preferences are different. So it's like, sure. it doesn't really matter like which one you're using. As long as you have one you like and you're actually going to use. Because that was always my biggest yeah. thing. Like, I just wouldn't wear it because I hated wearing it. It was a pain in the butt to get on and off. It's got to be and comfortable. Like, what, what good is it sitting in a drawer and not in my face? Yeah. You know? So. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Good yep. stuff. I still got That's one of those thought. for the lathe. There's, yeah. I, oh, yeah. There's all kinds of dust collection options out there for the lathe. I have none of them. So. <laughs> I'm all about collecting at the source of my head. Yeah, there's, there is a legit time that I get the question when I'm wearing a respirator, doing something that is not generating dust. And that's called, I just cut something two minutes before <laughs> yeah. that is not on camera. It's still and I'd like, 
like, and I just want to get on with the video. So in order to record that next thing, I have the respirator on to protect myself, but I don't actually need it for that particular task that I'm, uh, that I'm doing. <laughs> I'm wearing just, like chopping dovetails or something. Just, just blame your, your shop right. assistant. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Nicole just brought in hot off the press woodworking morning show t-shirts. Ooh, what? look at that. What? Or did you make that? Or she made it. What? She's a maker guys. Wow, is it quilted? <laughs> As per the last show's definition. That's awesome, hon. That looks beautiful. Nicely done. Um, all right. So that's that's dust collection in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot more to say on uh, you know, the, the whole dust collection topic. And I think we we hit on it periodically. A lot of questions we get about dust collection, but that's kind of an overview uh, of what we have in our shops. Uh, you guys know who knows a thing or two about dust collection? Bill Pence. Yeah, so I was going to say. That's a good point. Should I say not say that? (laughs) That's not the answer I was looking for, though. Sorry. Uh, It's it's Rockler, you guys. Rockler knows a lot. Oh, yeah. They know a lot about dust collection. They've got a ton of accessories and all of the the stuff that's under the name of Dustrite. They've got all kinds of adapters, accessories, including a new Dustrite 75. Oh, sorry. Read that wrong. 750 CFM mobile dust collector. Uh, this is your tool-to-tool roll-around type units. Got a little filter up on the top. They actually had that at yeah. uh, WorkbenchCon. We got to see it in person. It's got like it a, pretty, real nice. filters with like pleats and stuff. Pleated, beautiful pleated you filter know, on the top. The, the good ones that you actually want. Not that bag right. stuff. Not the goofy yeah. bag thing that doesn't do anything. I've got one of those um, canisters on my uh, wall-mounted dust right collector. Canister awesome. filter. Ah. There's the word. Thank you. Is it a official oh, term? <laughs> uh, they've got a, a bunch of new things too. And they had some of these at workbench con that was cool to see these mountable dust couplers. And it's kind of like, at first you go, well, do I need that for? And then you go, Oh, got it. Uh, so if you have a four inch hose, right. Coming from a big dust collector and you want to get that ported down to something that goes into a smaller power tool, let's say like a sander or whatever. Um, these are mountable, so you it's just a big you know piece of plastic with a mounting base on it um, that's uh, like a reducer, or well, it's a coupler, but it reduces down from the four inch down to a regular uh, port size that you would put directly on a tool. So if you're always sanding or doing something at your assembly table or workbench, you can kind of mount this guy out of the way on the side and just very easily hook up your dust collection system, have the hose on the other end, and then you got a nice, uh, very convenient connection uh, for your small portable tools. Um, what was that thing for the router table? Do you remember that? That was at Workbench Con too. Uh, that was uh, what's it called? It's right here. The Dust Right Router Table Dadle Dust Shoot. There it is. It is a little th- like this is like one of the more ingenious things. So you know, if you're doing like a dado on a router table, there's like this like laser beam of dust that shoots out ahead of the bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just like shoots right out there, and you got this pile of dust everywhere. So now it's like a little. A uh, little cup thing. It's got some bristles on top that you can adjust up and down to capture exactly the dust and, and actually wipe the dust off the board as it's coming off the edge of the table. And it's just right there catching all the dust shooting off out of that dado like a laser beam right into your hose, right into your dust collector and not right into the air where you don't want it. So this is actually, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. It's even, it's even got um, a blast gate on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this thing is so well designed. It's like someone was going to lose their job if they didn't come up with a great idea, right? Sort of like, I'm going to design the best damn router, dado, dust collector attachment that I can possibly come up with. I mean, and I mean that in the best way. I'm making a joke. The best and worst part about this is the fact that like now we know it exists. 
Yeah. Like, the can't like, I can't, it. I can't live without it. <laughs> yeah. Why do I not have one yet? And how soon can that I get little one? little laser yeah, exactly. beam of dust is just mocking you every time now. You know yeah, there's no, a solution for me. I can't make dados at the router table anymore. It just makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, but it is, it's really, it's really a cool thing. So go to their website and check that out. Um, Matt, you had one other thing. I think you just said you got, you got, that. it's some of the dust right stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, the Flexiport dust hose. So they got two different varieties of these. They have the fixed length, the 12 foot uh, hose. So it's like your, I guess your standard, like, um, uh, you know, dust extractor hose. It's like rigid. Um, it's actually a really nice quality too. I was just playing with it before we started the show. And mm-hmm. then the, they also have this flexible one that's the collapsible one. So it goes from like a three foot to 12 foot. It kind of expands and contracts. So if you don't, you don't have to have all the hose like draped all over the place. Yeah, that's like what I've got. Some sanding or something like this. And I'm like, this this is actually pretty nice. It's not like it actually expands really, like, really nicely and contracts really nicely, but not like overly dramatic. Mm-hmm. I guess if, if there's a word for that, it's 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 a smooth action on on a hose, which I'm like, this is it's just a hose, but it's, it's it feels good. It's a smooth hose. <laughs> those, those are the best kind of hose. All right. <laughs> and all right. So just. <laughs> Just to let you know, all of their uh, dust collectors do work with the Dustrite Quick Connect system. It's a system that includes hoses, tool ports, blast gates, and other accessories that make it quick and easy to capture dust in your shop. Uh, if you've got questions about the best dust collection solution for your shop, you can reach out to their product support team. I'm going to give you a URL, but you should just go to the website and go to the customer service area, but it's rockler.com slash customer dash service slash support. And we've mentioned their support in the past, so they can clearly help you with all kinds of things. So definitely go check that out. <laughs> find out what the best uh, dust collection solution is. If you already have a dust collection solution, go check it out because I guarantee you're going to find some stuff. Maybe like even, asking about that like, weird mole in your back. Yeah, that too. Uh, maybe go to a professional for that. But the uh, simplest thing, guys, like the little hose clamps that clamp over the wire um, thing. Oh, that, that that's the, nice the backbone of a flexible hose. So they have this little uh, hose clamp, not only with a, a hand adjustable wing nut on it, yes. um, but it's got like the way that the, the, the pieces are joined together. There's room for that hose wire to go through. So it clamps it more securely. Right. Than, it like, kind a of standard, hops uh, over the wire. Um, yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, and that's as stupid as it is. That bothers me. <laughs> someone, someone over there understands user experience. That's all, that's all I'm <laughs> yeah, hearing. Someone has put thought into that. So anyway, go check it all out. Rockler.com. As you know, we love Rockler. And for no particular reason, we just love them. Uh, so let's get into um, our voicemails and emails. <laughs> no, I think we couldn't have found a better sponsor. Honestly, it's fantastic. Oh, it's quite good. Um, thankfully, they have a sense of humor. Okay, voicemails and emails. Um, let me see. I think we got one here from from Zev. Hey guys, welcome back. Calling to ask some advice on my new shop that I'm setting up. For the past four years, I've been working out of my uh, single-car detached garage in my home in uh, Queens, New York. I work in property management and uh, development in New York City. One of our buildings that uh, I'm managing and redeveloping, we recently removed the, the boiler system. So now I have about 600 square feet of space in the basement of a office building in Manhattan. And I got the go-ahead from the ownership to uh, do what I want with it. Um, It's about 600 square feet, shape of an L. I think it might be one of the only hobbyist woodworking shops in Manhattan. And I just want to have 
get some advice on how to keep it dust-free. In my shop in Queens, I was putting dust collection on all the tools. I had a, a dust filter system, I think it was a jet. I'm planning on putting the jet in as well. For heating and cooling in the space, I'm going to use a ductless mini split. There's a small opening to ground level that I'm putting in an exhaust fan. And in the chimney, I'm putting in an inlet fan to have an ability to have a circulation of fresh air. Any suggestions or advice in terms of, you know, maintaining a safe and healthy work environment, temperature control, um, would appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. So in light of the fact that we just had a discussion about various <laughs> dust collection Rewind, Zaz, solutions, <laughs> yeah, he already got something of an answer, but I will address very quickly um, the the one thing he didn't mention was a respirator. We just talked about that. Uh, sounds like he's doing a lot already with an air cleaner, um, something for fresh air intake. These are all the right things to do. And if he's collecting at the source, I don't know how much more you can do there, Zev. So I think you're on the right track. Just make sure you have a nice respirator to go along with your collection of dust collection things. Uh, and what was the last part? Oh, he asked about like temperature control. Uh, I use nests in in my shop, but you can get any number of Wi-Fi controllers that will uh, control your HVAC system and your, your mini split in there. And I highly recommend it because then there's going to be times you're going to go home and you're going to, oh crap, I forgot to turn it off. You could just pull up the app and make a change. Or if you know you're coming in, set a schedule, something like that, get it warming up before you get there, that type of thing. So look for some kind of Wi-Fi smart control. And I think you will be a, uh, a happy uh, Manhattan woodworker basement person. <laughs> I actually think I should probably get one of those. Because there's so many times where, like, I'm in the shop, I'm going to film something, I turn off the heater, and then I leave. Yeah. The next day I go out there, it's like 40 degrees. I'm like, yeah. oh, yep. Would have been I nice. was filming last night. Yep. It, it is up. handy. Very handy. Oh. Okay. This next one is from Joe. It says, my wife and I recently moved into a house in New York on Long Island. It has an unfinished basement that I intend to finish so I have, so that half is a playroom and the other half is a workshop. My question is about the flooring in the basement. You want to do a vinyl plank in the playroom and continue it over into the workshop so that the house can be resold someday and the workshop is the least finished room for the prospective buyer. Is that a bad idea? Should I just leave this shop bare concrete? The heaviest tool I own is a contractor saw stop on a mobile base. Would that ruin the vinyl? Thanks for unquitting. <laughs> um, I don't really have a whole lot of experience with, I guess, Final plank flooring. I mean, if you're not, I mean, if you're not doing anything crazy on it, I don't see why it would be a problem. Do you guys? I mean, no, if it's have, not too heavy, you're I mean, not doing like giant heavy tools rolling around all the time. Even yeah. like a contractor saw stuff is not heavy yeah. at all. Well, I mean, I've got that rubber gym flooring, the same stuff that Mark has, mm -hmm. and I can roll my 900 pound grizzly planer across it. Um, I suppose if I like got got it up to speed, um, it it might cause some buckling in the flooring. But just moving, See, I can't it, do that though, Shannon. I don't know if we have different really? types or different thicknesses. Yeah, I mean, if I've got like a six hundred pound tool, five hundred pound tool, if there's a decent amount of weight, the casters will start to cause it to buckle and it stretches a little bit. And mm -hmm. as soon as it starts, you you've got to pull back because it's just going to get worse. Yeah, my only like concern, I guess, would be like. Uh, surface wear like right you know, walking on it or you got like some sand and you're scraping your i don't know dropping a chisel on the floor you put a gouge in it i guess i mean that's 
normal wear and tear on a floor type stuff. Would is is like vinyl plank more comfortable underfoot? It's got to be a little have a little bit of give to it, right? Then what concrete? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Figure. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I'm asking this is because kind of like, have you ever heard of the, the idea of if you have like a pickup truck, for instance, um, instead of getting the spray <laughs> schmutz that they put into the bed, instead uh-huh. of getting that and then using it for five years, save that for when you go to sell it. So right. pay a little bit of money, get that thing done, and you can actually sell the truck for a lot more because it just looks newer because it's got this oh. brand new finish in there. So it's making me wonder if if it's not a comfort thing. Like if he's going to get comfort, there's a functional reason why he should have some kind of flooring instead of concrete. But if that's not the case, or maybe he has rubber floor pads or something that he plans to use anyway, um, vinyl plank flooring is fairly inexpensive as far as flooring products go. Maybe don't do anything, just treat it like a shop. And then before you go to sell it for the ultimate resale value, put in the vinyl plank flooring when you brand go to new, stage the house. Brand new flooring. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah, except and then, that he's already doing half of, if he's already going to do half, um, you know, most oh, that's companies right. are going to play you know, well, A lot of companies are just going to give you a price per room. I mean, they'll certainly figure out the square footage, but I imagine it would be more expensive to have someone come back and do the other half of the room. And if the then you're going to see around. a difference, you know, there's going to be, I don't care how UV resistant the stuff is and how little sun hits the room. There's going to be a color difference, right? So well, and patterns change. So, I mean, he, he, so, they may not, may not be able to get the same exact stuff. I mean, know, five years from now, you, you may have to redo the whole floor before you mm-hmm. sell it, but when's that going to be like, are, were you planning on selling a year from now, two years from now, 15 years, you know, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. with you, Mark. You know, I always love the people that do all these, this stuff to their house before they sell it. And they're like, man, now I don't want to sell. <laughs> like, why did we do this so 10 nice. years ago? Why couldn't we have lived with this nice bathroom or this nice kitchen or this nice floor? So I, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm with you that it's, it's cheap enough that if worse comes to worse and you do tear it up, I suppose you could replace it, um, before it's time to sell. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're already going to do half the room, you might as well do the whole f- whole room it'll end up being cheaper i would think yeah interesting stuff well a lot to ponder there uh good luck with that joe all right let's get to a voicemail here we got from lucas hi mark shannon and matt this is lucas calling from michigan i started listening to wood talk just as you guys quit since then i've been on a year-long bender trying to listen to the whole back catalog uh, i was starting to get a little worried about withdrawal symptoms but uh, just in time you're back thanks for unquitting <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned in your resurrection episode that uh, we know the internet is a great place to find any answer you might possibly want, but it's not always a great place to find the right answer. So I'm hoping that you can help uh, point me in the right direction of something that might actually be useful. What's the deal with gluing cedar? Uh, I'm using some red cedar to make a picnic table and benches for our deck, and much of the joinery uses uh, lap joints. Uh, I was going to cut the half laps and cross laps, uh, use some tight mount three, and call it a day. Uh, but then a dude on the internet said you can't glue cedar and expect the glue to hold for a long time. Uh, so my question is, uh, is this schmo selling the internet's reputation for free and impartial advice, and I should just ignore him? Or do I actually need to add some fasteners or use some other approach to make sure my joints start start falling apart in a couple of years? Thanks for any guidance. Thanks for helping me ease off my wood talk vendor over the next year or so. And thanks for everything you do. Later. Uh, All right. Some dude on the internet. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's, many, there's dudes on the internet that think that wood doesn't move. How many things have gone wrong because of some dude on the internet? Oh, that they're funny. So he said red cedar. Um, <laughs> the only cedar I know of that could cause any potential problems um, oftentimes is referred to aromatic cedar. Um, some can actually call it as red cedar, but even then, it's really not an issue. Um, if like you are, what was that? You think? Is it because it's like oily? Yeah. I mean, the reason that aromatic cedar is aromatic is because it's yeah. the, the resins, um, are, are quite volatile. So they're, mm-hmm. they're oozing out and nine times out of 10, because cedar's density is so low, people are very cautious to dry it too much to actually set those resins. Um, you know, you've got to bring it up to 240 degrees in order to set the sap and that can cause major issues with a low density wood like that. So, they tend to still be a little weepy. Um, you have to look at it in case by case. If you're really unconcerned or you're really concerned and say the joint, you know, it's a mortise and tenon and, and it's a structural joint. The, the answer to this, whether you're talking red cedar, teak, African blackwood, you know, Ipe, you know, or any of the nasty jungle woods that are like waxy and oily to the touch, wipe it down with mineral spirits or wipe it down with naphtha, remove that oil and that resin from the wood, then glue it up before the resin seeps back out, clamp it up and you're good to go. Or if you really want to be doubly sure, add a belt to that suspenders, wipe it down with mineral spirits, use epoxy and glue it up and you're good to go. Um, I would say that you wouldn't have to go that far with red cedar. I, unless you have a spot that is visibly like weeping sap, um, type on three should be just fine. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much red cedar and Western red cedar we sell on a weekly basis. And no one ever comes back and says, you didn't tell me this was a gluing problem. You know, teak on the other hand, that sometimes comes back, but no cedar sure. is just not an issue. So I wanted to ask if uh, kind of a dumb question, Western red cedar and red cedar, two different things are similar enough that I could tell you my experience with the Western red and that would apply to what he's asking. Depends on which dude on the internet you ask. (laughs) They could very well be the same thing. Um, For the most part, they're similar enough. Um, But Mm -hmm. when someone just says red cedar to me, um, well, no, you're right. If someone just says red cedar, I'm thinking Western red cedar. But the fact that he... Actually, no, he didn't have problems. Just some dude on the internet told him he yeah, might he have problems. Yeah, he just prevented it. <laughs> um, so yeah. the, the only one that I know of would be what would be called aromatic cedar, and it can also okay. be called red cedar. But yeah. I but mean, that's not confusing at all. Though. No, yeah. Welcome to Softwoods. <laughs> well, I've, got, I've done a number of projects with Western red cedar specifically, and I have, uh, I've used, well, they were outdoor projects, so I used type on three. And I had Phoenix sun heat exposure moving to Colorado. So all the Colorado weather and snow and all that stuff, my tables failed, not at the glue joints. They failed because the wood sucks. (laughs) Like just in general, I don't like the stuff and it had all kinds of problems, but the glue joints weren't one of them. So, uh, I would say type on three, if, if we're talking about the same kind of Western red cedar that I use, you will have no problem with, with uh, type on three. Yeah. Which by the way, aromatic cedar is also known as Eastern red cedar, just to make things ah. more complex. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, Silly naming the next conventions. One. This next one is from Harvey. It says, so you want a question, eh? How about this? 
I live in New Hampshire <laughs> and I buy walnut lumber at a local distributor. <laughs> if I plan it down to size, everything is fine. But if I resaw the board, it cups like crazy. I've done the same with maple cherry and a few others, but walnut is the only one that cups. What do you think? Hmm. So, I mean, in my limited experience with uh, purchasing lumber, if uh, if it's going to cup like that, to me, that says it was dried too quickly and it might have some kind of internal stress or case hardening is the thing my mind goes to, at least in my experience. <laughs> you just keep saying the same words over and over. <laughs> According I'm to... to uh, stay in character. I'm thinking, uh, you know, in my experience. In my experience, kind of. <laughs> According it's to all, me. It's all just opinions and, you know, things. Well, I mean, how much cupping is too much i mean he says cups like crazy so i guess well, it's got to be pretty significant I mean, are we talking about the same widths the same thickness i mean there's there's not enough information here if you resawed a four quarter board of cherry and it didn't cup but you resawed an eight quarter board of walnut and cupped well yeah the the, the moist and gooey center in the eight quarter is going to be more moist and gooey <laughs> than the moist and gooey center of the four quarter board it's that rehydrated toast in the middle yeah oh. exactly you know the width if it's a wider board it's more likely to to, to cup because more than likely you, it's it's a flat sawn board that's going to move a lot more that cherry or that maple board you had might have you know not be quite as flat sawn depending on where it came out of the log there's so many elements there i think what he may be seeing is there is a um not so well there is a density difference certainly um, between walnut cherry and maple maple being so much denser and so much harder has a little bit more kind of internal strength to hold itself flat if dried properly um whereas walnut's got a little bit more dead air that it can kind of flex into and cause some um some cupping cherry while similar density has the pore structure that's a lot tighter than walnut. So it may not flex quite as easily as, as, as walnut. But I mean, I think Matt's initial answer is it, it's how well is it dried? You know, um, was it conditioned properly? And if anyone's interested, the latest episode of Shannon's lumber industry update is all about kiln drying and, uh, the misnomer that case hardening is evil and bad when case hardening is actually just, part of kiln drying. The problem that case hardening occurs is case hardening occurs anytime you kiln dry lumber. But the final step in kiln drying lumber is called conditioning in which you reverse the case hardening. And if a lot of people rush the kiln drying process, they don't properly condition the lumber. So it comes out case hardened. All lumber is case hardened, but case hardening is reversible with the addition of additional moisture. That's just part of the kiln drying schedule. Um, a lot of places rush that. So you end up with a board that doesn't have the moisture then equalized and it's called case hardened. Of course, you can go too far and add too much moisture and then you reverse case harden it. Yeah, that's not at all confusing. I know, but I, I, I would just say there's, there's not enough there's not enough information here. It's not an apples and oranges thing. There's so many variables that can affect whether or not it cups. Well, and to just add my anecdotal experience, every species I've ever worked with, like the ones like domestics that I'll use a lot, may or may not cup upon resawing. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know until I cut it right. what it's going to do. Right. And sometimes I can go, next. okay, one's flat. Right. This cup. whole, yeah, I would think, okay, well, if this one starts off bad, I got a feeling I'm going to have trouble here. So if I have to cut something into like veneers 
or I, I'm just trying to get as much yield out of it as possible, that first test is what tells me, just gives me an idea whether this batch that I just purchased is going to be problematic or not. And if it all resolves beautifully, then I'm like, yay, I'm going to get a lot more yield out of it. Yay. But, uh, but across the species, <laughs> it hasn't mattered. I mean, some might be more, tend to be more stable than others. Uh, but I certainly have seen in every one of those species that I've used, bad boards that just don't resaw well. Yeah. We have to remember folks, wood is an organic <laughs> entity. You know, it's not manufactured one board to the next one tree to the next. Um, one mm -hmm. section of the log is better. The other section of the log is going to behave differently. It's, it's, it's chaos. I say it's awful. It's crazy. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is why epoxy is better than wood. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <true>. You know. <laughs> it's more, more consistent. It's a much more stable build material. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> Quiet you. Um, this, uh, this email comes from Peter. He says, I'm having a difficult time hand planing some highly figured walnut. Uh oh, it's walnut again. Um, oh. Highly figured walnut with my number six four plane and getting lots of chatter and a tough time planing the face with lots of chatter and tear out. I think he's getting chatter. I was thinking that a, tear out. a bevel up plane <laughs> would help and watch Shannon's bevel up versus bevel down video. That thing's still out there, huh? Um, would a low angle jack or joiner plane be more effective? I appreciate the advice. Uh, short answer. No, uh, just don't, don't buy into it. The, the, the angle of the, the plane is not going to create less chatter or create less tear out. Um, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> you're, you're just fine with your number six, four plane. Uh, one thing that I say in the hand tool school over and over again is sharp fixes everything. Uh, now if you're getting a lot of tear out, you probably need to sharpen your blade. Uh, if you just sharpen your blade and you're getting a lot of tear out, try reducing the depth of cut and see what happens. Um, if you're getting a lot of chatter, you might have some issues with the interface between the blade and the frog. Like is the blade actually bedding securely against, uh, against the, um, the, the frog, the plane itself. In that instance, I suppose you can make a case to say bevel up would be better because the, there is no frog, you know, it's just a part of the soul. So it's going to bed a lot, um, a lot more solidly, but, um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, he doesn't say what the plane is, if it's vintage or whatever, take a look at the plane and, and, and make sure, first of all, the frog is securely attached to the sole. Make sure the frog itself is not moving around. Um, B two, whatever, um, make sure that the, the iron is firmly <laughs> pressed down to the sole and it's not rocking and moving around at all. Um, three, make sure the mouth on that four plane is open wide enough to accommodate the thickness of shaving you're taking. If the mouth is too tight, the shavings are going to bunch up in there. They're going to cause vibration because there's just, there's not enough space for them to move around. And that vibration could cause the plane to jump around and could potentially cause tear out. Um, but the tearing really is more of a sign that your blade is just not sharp enough. And if you're using a four plane with like a, a radically cambered iron, um, make sure the entire curve is sharp. I know a lot of people, when they first start learning to sharpen a curved iron, they're real good at getting the center part of the curve, but not so much the edges. So it's like, oh, it's cutting great in the middle and it's tearing all the hell on the sides. Well, that's the part you need to be really sharp is those side sections. Or he doesn't say he's using a curved iron. Maybe 
you would be better suited if you're using just a number six four plane and you're taking a really heavy cut at least clip the corners off like champ for the corners on that blade but what i would prefer is that you actually curve that iron put like an eight or nine inch radius on that blade and then you've really got a four plane that's going to hog off material and and it's going to um, stop chattering because now you're creating a scooping action rather than um, the straight blade and those sharp corners digging in so it really that's the last thing i would do is say oh switch to a low angle jack plane because that's not really the problem it's more the blade. So let me ask you a question, Shannon. Um, is, is your advice regarding the angle not making a difference? Is that because the operation he's doing is with a four plane and it's heavy stock removal? Or is that same logic applied to a more fine cut? Good question. Because um, I am, he's saying four plane and I'm immediately jumping to heavy removal, aren't I? And that's not, that's probably not what's going well, the, on. Because the only reason I ask is because I, I've seen with my own experience that that does make a pretty big difference on figured material. But I'm, I'm looking at the four plane thinking, well, that might be the reason why Shannon's given him that advice. Um, you're saying what makes a big difference? So, for instance, my low angle jack, a uh, 30 degree oh, blade okay, okay. versus my 50 degree blade sure. on a figured maple board. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, and, and and that's my bad. I'm going immediately i i hear four plane and i think that's that's a heavy removal plane i'm not using that big of a plane um for smooth planing well and that, and that's just right. it if you are getting tear out on highly figured stuff you know the the more figured it is you probably want to take a lighter cut um and i don't know i don't know that i would necessarily go right to a big heavy plane for that mm-hmm. certainly the angle um of the blade is going to going to help the higher the angle, uh, the better results you're going to have. Um, still, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to deny the fact that a higher angle frog will produce better results on highly figured stuff. But in my experience, Matt, um, in my experience, (laughs) I find that it's actually overrated. Um, I've got multiple smoothing planes that are just normal 45 degree angles. Um, I've got a bevel up smoother that just has like a regular 25 degree blade in there. So that's, you know, it's not a a York pitch or not a 30 degree blade or a 50 degree blade. And at least when we're talking domestics, even if it's highly figured, I find a sharp blade and a tight mouth is enough to fix tear out problems. The fact that he's saying chatter to me tells me he's either taking too heavy a cut, his blade's not sharp, or he's actually got an interface issue. Something's not bedding properly. So regardless of whether it's a super light cut or a heavy cut with a four plane, that chatter issue makes me worry um, that there's something going on there with the sharpness. Um, and it may just right. be the mouth opening. I just, I, my problem with the whole bevel up or like the, the additional frogs is, is it's kind of like, Oh, here's your silver bullet fix. And it, <laughs> it, it doesn't really provide an understanding of the physics that's going on with planing. So that York pitch frog or that 50 degree blade in your bevel up plane may work this one time, But when it doesn't work the next time, then you're like, well, now what do I do? And you didn't, you (laughs) kind of didn't learn what causes it in the first place. And nine times out of 10, 
it's the sharpness of the blade. You know, if it's highly figured stuff, you need a highly, highly sharp blade um, because you're essentially cutting in grain and reversing grain and switchbacking grain. You know, sometimes it's a matter of technique. Sometimes it's a matter of skewing the blade a little bit more. Most of the time, though, the tightness of that mouth goes a super long way because the sole, the toe of the hand plane is providing pressure down on the boards. It's supporting the fibers ahead of the cut. So as the blade comes along and starts to lift those fibers, the sole is keeping them in place, aka preventing tear out. Because tear out is when the fiber lifts out and the split runs down the board and it tears out a chunk. So this, the pressure of the toe of that plane is preventing that board from tearing. Now the angle of the blade will cause that chip to break much faster. Um, and the higher angle does mean that the, the chip is going to break faster so it can prevent the running out. But the the toe is already doing that. So if you've got a super tight mouth, if you're taking a thousands of an inch shaving, thousands of inch thick shaving, the mouth should be open like a thousand and, you know, a, a gnat's wing, you know, wider than that. So that you Which are providing pressure more, on that fibers right up to the cutting edge of the blade. And that's, that's the, the inherent I don't know if you call it physics, but that's the mechanics of what's actually happening there. Just automatically switching to a bevel up plane or switching to a York pitch frog or a higher angle blade. While that may work, you're missing out on an opportunity to understand why and how to fix it when that doesn't work. Cause you're always going to find that board that's just particularly gnarly and it's not going to work. And then it's like, well, now you need a card scraper. Well, why, why do you need a card scraper? You know, it's a very different, it's a totally different mechanics going on there. So I got to tell you, I'm perfectly happy missing out on that experience and <laughs> using my 50 degree blade. All right. Well, and that's why you'll, you'll never be as good as a woodworker as I am. That's true. I won't be as good of a person all around. I just, you know, let's grab a sander. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Totally different mechanics uh, though. Why does that? No, no, I'm not going to go there. Don't go there. We're not, we're, not, no, we're not good. Cutting? You, you guys are going to have to go to bed. It's getting late. All right. So that just about does it for us today. I uh, want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Rockler, family-owned since 1954. Rockler is your go-to source for high-quality, innovative, wood- innovative woodworking <laughs> tools. It's late for me, too. Uh, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or a new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Thank you, Rockler. We appreciate your support. Thank you very much, Rockler. If you guys have questions you want us to discuss on the show, please visit woodtalkshow.com. You can fill out the form there, submit your questions to us. Um, as Mark has said in the past, if you want to sponsor us on Patreon, you might get your question answered faster. Just, just saying. Um, you can find us on um, Instagram. We're there at Wood Talk Show. And if you want to send us a voicemail, record it on the voicemail app in your phone and email that to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. And I want to remind people that the three of us are also on Instagram. You can find us at Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, and Renaissance Woodworker. We're all there. Yay. We're posting stuff. And I've been, I've been thinking about what to do for kind of the social homework on this show. And certainly you can post a picture of your dust collector, but that might get boring real fast. But if you have a, a, a solution, a dust collection set up for a specific operation that you're particularly proud of, I want to see it. 
I absolutely want to see it. If you found a way to collect the dust at your your lathe, I definitely want to see that because I have That's no cool. solutions there. Um, if you've got something you're just particularly proud of, if you or let's pander to the sponsor, if you have used a Rockler product and are particularly <laughs> proud of that setup, post it, post it for us and oh, use the man. hashtag WoodTalk. 464. And if you don't have anything to post, make a pile of dust and write out hashtag woodtalk 464 in it and post that picture instead. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. I love it. Good idea, Shannon. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye bye, everybody. Happy dust collecting. See ya.